0: enough to see my oldest daughter, Lanier, dancing here on the front row. Uh, Just so you know, she did not get those moves from me, but from her mother. I can say that because her mother's out of town this weekend. Um, In all seriousness, though, um, there's something sweet about uh, seeing kids singing and dancing in the gathering of of the church uh, on the Lord's Day. It was G.K. Chesterton that said, uh, we don't We don't need to become more childish, but we could surely stand to become perhaps a little bit more childlike. And so I hope you're encouraged even just by the presence of children in the beginning of these gatherings as we made that shift not too far back in the rearview mirror. If we haven't met, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastor elders of our church, the guy who uh, most Sundays gets to Uh, Open up the scriptures and preach God's word. Excited to do that this morning as we dive into a new sermon series, one that's going to carry us uh, all the way through the fall season and right up to Advent. A series entitled No Other Gospel Study of the Book of Galatians. And we're going to dovetail that right into a study of the Book of James. As I mentioned last Sunday at the end of the service, uh, many believe those two books of the Bible to be at odds with one another and hopefully by the time we work our way through the fall and the spring uh, we'll see that those two books of the Bible are actually great friends with one another. This book, the book of Galatians, not without it's many well-known and beloved passages of scripture. Many of you will recognize these passages, ones like Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 where Paul says I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Or how about Galatians 3.27-29, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. For Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or Galatians 6, chapters 9, or verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. All right, that's just the highlight reel. Crucified with Christ, redeemed from the curse of the law, Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, children of the living God, the spirit of Christ indwelling, members of the household of faith. These are just a a few of the, the wondrous truths that we're gonna sit with and steep in over the course of the next several months together as a church. As we grow in deeper understanding and deeper appreciation of the beauty and the hope and the truth of the gospel, the good news, the gospel, of the rescuing, redeeming work of Jesus for sinners like you and me. To the everlasting praise of God and the everlasting joy of his people. And so, with that, I invite you to go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter one. That's as good a place to start as any, right? We'll be in the first five verses, the greeting of Paul to the churches of Galatia. Some might be inclined to expand out. A sermon like this, beginning a series like this, beyond the first five verses, believing there might not be enough meat on the bone, and yet, as we'll see, there's plenty of meat on the bone. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. Feel free to use that Bible uh, during your time with us this morning. If you don't own a copy of the scriptures, please take one of those Bibles with you. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump into this incredible book of the Bible. Lord, going back to a song that I was listening to earlier this morning, I pray that we would grow as a result of our time in the book of Colossians over the course of these fall months in a deeper understanding, appreciation of what it means to be liberated by the blood of Jesus, that we would Find life in the sweetness of freedom, the freedom that's ours, and not having to run on the treadmill to establish right standing with you, Lord, trusting that Christ has done everything necessary as a result of the status that can only be ours in Jesus, Lord. That freedom, that taste of freedom, I pray that it would fan into flame. Greater spirit-empowered sin-killing obedience as that too is part of the book of Galatians. Lord, would you do a mighty work by the power of your spirit? Would you give me a feeling sense of the things I preach as much as anyone in this place? And I pray that we would walk away not only informed but transformed by the power of the gospel. And that it would be for your glory and your glory alone. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So there's something I I think most of us at least would agree uh, about escaping captivity that that captures the hearts and imaginations of of people. Be it the many daring underwater escapes of Harry Houdini from his submersible iron-bound box or the the story of the, the many inmates throughout the history of Alcatraz who tried to escape that seemingly inescapable island prison. Stories like the Count of Monte Cristo the improbable escape of Edmond Dantes from the dreadful island fortress of the Chateau d'If. The Bible, not without its own motif of uh, freedom from captivity, arguably, as many of you know, the most famous in the Old Testament perhaps being the story of the Exodus. God's rescuing of his people from hundreds of years of bondage to Egypt. Paul's letter to the, the Galatians, it's been referred to as the, the Magna Carta of Christian liberty believed by many to be one of the first of what we now know to be the Apostle Paul's New Testament writings, perhaps written even as early as uh, A.D. 48, which would date this letter to less than 20 years after the, the resurrection and ascension of, of Jesus, written to a number of churches that, that Paul helped to plant in and out around Galatia. We'll get into that uh, later on in the book, many of the details of which Luke gives account in the book of Acts. An incredibly impassioned letter as we'll see in places fiery even. There's a uniqueness there about the Apostle Paul. Paul having heard some troubling things having crept into the belief and practice of the Galatian churches a threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ. False teachers having come in with a distortion of the gospel. A Christ plus formula for right legal standing with God. The details of which we'll get into soon enough they're they're teaching bewitching or enchanting particularly to the many Galatian or Gentiles I should say who, who made up those churches such teaching not only stirring up division and strife within the churches but causing many to turn away from the one true gospel sounding off alarm bells for the apostle Paul leading him to compose this impassioned letter which he begins in verse 1 Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Many of us are familiar with the Apostle Paul. We've studied several of his letters at this point in the history of our church, a man having authored roughly half of the books that make up the New Testament. Perhaps surprising to some to know that Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles. In fact, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of the church in the earliest days following Jesus' resurrection and ascension. In those days, known as Saul, a devout Pharisee, a man who not only witnessed the martyrdom of Stephen, the first biblically recorded post-resurrection Christian martyr, but too commended Stephen's death. Acts chapter 8 begins with Saul Approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In the days of the early church... Imagine you're sitting, having family dinner, perhaps a family devotional. In comes Saul and his men, drags you from your home, commits you to prison. He was ravaging the church in those days. That is, until he found himself in the crosshairs of God's sovereign grace in his famous encounter with the risen and ascended Jesus on the Damascus road, Acts chapter nine, a day that would forever change his life, the day that would forever change his destiny. The man whom we now know to be the Apostle Paul. An apostle not from men nor through man, Paul says, verse 1. His apostolic authority and message of divine origin. Commissioned, Paul was, not by the Jerusalem church, not by the church in Antioch, not even by Peter himself. Rather, Paul says, commissioned by God the Father and the risen Christ In contrast, by the way, to those seeking to draw the Galatians away from the true gospel. Paul including, you'll notice, verse 2 in his greeting, all the brothers with him. A declaration that, that he stands not alone in his rebuke. And yet, at the same time, a declaration that he stands uniquely alone as an apostle. Among not other apostles, but brothers. He goes on to write, To the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom be the glory forever and ever amen Looking ahead you'll you'll notice that Paul doesn't follow his greeting to the churches of Galatia with his typical expressions of gratitude and words of prayer over them You see that in a lot of Paul's other letters in the New Testament. As we'll see next week, moving immediately into a word of rebuke in confronting and addressing the lurking threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not before framing up this letter in its very greeting. Before we even get to the content itself with both the truth of the gospel and the hope of the gospel. Paul declaring that Jesus gave himself for our sins, verse 4, and was raised from the dead. Verse one, the good news of the cross and empty tomb, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To use Paul's language in his letter to the church of Corinth, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, Paul says, as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. It's the basic tenets of the, the Gospel the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cross and empty tomb. Some might wonder why Paul would begin with the the resurrection, verse 1, before bringing to bear the language of crucifixion, uh, verse 4. Seemed to be chronologically out of order there, right? And yet, Paul's radical story of transformation began not with the crucifixion, but the resurrection. His encounter with the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road. Here giving credence not only to the truth of the gospel, but again to his apostolic authority. In beginning with not the crucifixion of Jesus, but the resurrection. Paul having seen the risen Jesus with his very own eyes. Jesus who, Paul says, verse 4, gave himself. Paul's language in describing the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Language expressing Jesus' willingness to die to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus himself declared in John 10, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes from me my life, but I lay it down of my own accord. As Matthew tells us in his account of the crucifixion, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit We're meant to see something even in these words of the self-sacrificing love of Christ for you and me. This Jesus who gave himself for our sins, Paul says, verse four, the language of substitution. Jesus, the the sinless one, died in the place of sinners like you and me, bearing the penalty and punishment of of our sin that we might be reconciled to God. As Peter so eloquently and succinctly writes 1 Peter 3.18 for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God in our place condemned he stood, sealed our pardon with his blood hallelujah, what a savior as John Stott writes in his cross of Christ he says the The concept of substitution may be said to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives, he says, which belong to God alone, God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. Another way we could say it, Jesus bore a crown of thorns that we might receive the crown of life. Two, that we might know rescue from the darkness of captivity. Christ having given himself for our sins, verse four, to deliver us from the present evil age. The word deliver in the original Greek meaning to remove from or to, to rescue. Right? Unlike Edmund Dantes, we could not escape from the, the dreadful island fortress of our own Chateau d'If. As Charles Wesley once wrote, and we often sing, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. That's the condition of Fallen man, apart from Christ, in the possession of the strong man, Satan, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2. Thanks be to God, Colossians 1, who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We who would otherwise be shackled in darkness, in chains, delivered and transferred to Jesus' kingdom of light and life, in the words of one writer, I love this, Galatians is the epistle of the soul set free. Freed not only from sin's penalty, but sin's power. Someday to be freed from sin's presence forever, for all eternity. It's the greatest rescue story the world has ever known. In fact, any and other, uh, all, all other rescue stories drawing on borrowed capital. This glorious plan of redemption. Verse 4, according to the will of God our Father. There was no disagreement within the Godhead here. The Son gave Himself, verse 4, in agreement with the will of the Father. His death, no accident. He laid down His life in faithful commitment to the sovereign plan of God. As Peter declared in his famous sermon at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Men of Israel, Peter says, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, here it is, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The betrayal, the arrest, the... Trial, the crucifixion of Jesus was no accident, but rather according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. As the believers two chapters later in Acts chapter 4 would go on to pray to the Lord. For truly, O Lord, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, here it is, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It's a catch all, it's a junk drawer. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, too, everyone who participated was in accordance with God's plan. Your hand and your plan, the sinless, sovereign, predestining work of God. John Piper writes in his book, Spectacular Sins, he says, God, this is fantastic. God did not just overcome evil at the cross, he says. He made evil serve the overcoming of evil. In the death of Christ, the powers of darkness did their best to destroy the glory of the Son of God. This is the apex of evil. But instead, they found themselves quoting the script of ancient prophecy and acting the part assigned by God. Precisely, he says, in putting Christ to death, they put his glory on display. The very glory that they aimed to destroy. The apex of evil... Achieve the apex of glory in Christ, the glory of grace. Your hand in your plan, O Lord, not only that you might display your glory, but that the vilest of sinners might know everlasting joy. We're meant to say, What glory, what grace. It's exactly the language that the Apostle Paul uses, is it not, in bookending the truths of the gospel with his greeting. Grace and peace to you, verse 3. Glory forever and ever to God, verse 5. The language of of grace and peace, more than just a a conventional uh, literary greeting. After all, as we'll see as we get deeper into this letter... Grace and peace are the very things being undermined in the churches of Galatia to whom Paul is writing. In fact, Paul understands that there is no true grace nor peace where there is no justification by faith, Which is what Paul' is going to focus a great deal of attention on as we continue to work our way through this incredible letter: a right understanding of justification. As Paul says elsewhere in his letter to the church in Rome, and notice the language of grace and peace here and its tie-in to justification by faith. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, because, as an outworking of, we have peace, there it is, with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace In which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Justification by faith means peace with God, Paul says, through our Lord Jesus Christ and access into this grace in which we stand. From the Father and the Son, verse 3, we can by faith know true grace and peace. This, verse 5, to the eternal glory of God and God alone. God who alone established this rescue plan for the ages, God alone who accomplished this rescue plan for the ages. To him and him alone be the glory throughout all generations forever and ever. It's something of a trailer for where we're headed in the weeks to come. Tim Keller in his commentary on the book of Galatians, he, he says, The book of Galatians is dynamite. It is an explosion of joy and freedom which leaves us enjoying a deep significance, security, and satisfaction. The life of blessing God calls his people into. Why? Because, he says, it brings us face to face with the gospel. It's very common in Christian circles to assume that the gospel is something mainly for non-Christians. We see it as a set of basic ABC doctrines that are the way in which someone enters the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, "We, We often assume that once we're converted, we don't need to hear or study or understand the gospel. We need more advanced material. But in this short letter... Paul outlines the bombshell truth that the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. It is not only the way to enter the kingdom, it is the way to live as part of the kingdom. It is the way Christ transforms people, churches, and communities. You can see why Paul would fight for this one true gospel his letter to the Galatians, an explosion of joy and freedom, the epistle of the soul set free. Perhaps for some, today is is the day of redemption, the first true experience of a soul set free in Christ. For many of us, surely an opportunity to to yet again live in in the sweetness of freedom and joy, a freedom and joy, a grace and peace that can only be found in Jesus who gave himself, Paul says, for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Whether for the first time or the 10,000th time, the invitation this morning is to trust in Christ. In a moment, we'll have an opportunity to declare our trust with our collective song beautiful opportunity that's unique to gatherings like this, to both sing and to listen to the voices of God's redeemed around us, to recognize that, to, to use Keller's language, it's not just that Christ is transforming and has transformed me by the power of this gospel, but us. He does this with churches, not just individuals. And then he radically uh, transforms communities through the church, that this is a together thing. We'll also have an opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you not to partake of the bread and cup, but that your next step would be one of repentance and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that you would bow before him as heaven's king this morning. And if you are a Christian, as many of you know, we take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus, and we dip it in the cup representing His shed blood. There are communion stations on either side of the stage here. There's a gluten-free table in the back corner there. have an opportunity to sit with the riches of the truth of the gospel that are right there in the greeting of this letter, again, before we ever even get to the content, as you prepare to receive those elements of bread and cup this morning, just pause for a moment and recognize that Christ willingly yielded up his spirit for you. That Christ died in your place as your substitute, that you might be reconciled to God, brought to God. that you and I might sit with that imagery of the imprisoned spirit, our own chateau d'if and recognize that, that God shone forth with the light of the glory of Christ and broke the shackles and that we've been set free. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E, ptc.com.